friendly sister or something like that and she read it and she just says it completely changed her view of how addicts are that they're not that, that she's seen the human behind the addict she's seen the the, fam, the the addict's family behind it so when she's going to be working she's going to be treating them differently and that was one of the big things that, that jumped out for me Welcome to the Social Fabric Chronicles podcast I'm your host Andrea Splendori and this week my guest is Brian Penny I first met with Brian in March 2019 for uh, the Social Fabric podcast episode 47. He has since written a book called Bonus Time and uh, just came out last month in April 2020 and I wanted to catch up with him to see how life has changed for him since his tagline is change is possible and his story is an interesting one well worth looking into it. If you want to get in touch with the program please email me at info socialfabric.ie The theme tune is by Nevada and it's called Paralyzed. Very good. How are you anyway? All good? Really good. It's really good. I have to say, it's, um, I, I, I've been saying that. It's a strange thing to say, but it feels like I've been training for this for six and a half years. Like, <laughs> it's uh, The tools have just come in so well and just being able to share them with people has been fantastic. Like, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, set, a series with the old secondary school for all the Leaving Cert students. Oh, brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant. And then I've done a thing with Gil where it's sending out all principals for other Leaving Search students to help them and company company talks, online talks. So I'm just doing loads of webinars and giving back. And so it's great. It's great to be able to give back when people are struggling. Like, you know, it's nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's brilliant. I'll tell you what I wanted to ask you. I want to start from because you, you put a really nice uh, little feedback there on on social media today to say um, you know the last time we spoke, what well, I was just checking was uh, just over a year ago, March two thousand nineteen. Right. Uh, you say last time we spoke, it had a huge positive impact on my thinking, and uh, and I yeah really appreciate that. But I, I want to delve into a little bit more because. Um, Tell me a bit more about that. Why? What? What? It, what it meant to you and how and all of that. Right, and the details now. Yeah, we're, we're going right back into it. <laughs> so I remember what it was. You asked me about the songs, right? So I, I, I tend to be. I like to think I'm in the moment a lot, but I think it's just not. I'm not very perceptive at times, you know. <laughs> so you asked me about the songs, and I just named songs that were really uh, meant a lot to me. So, um, and about in the addiction, like uh, one of the songs was uh, by uh, Blink, I think Blink 142, and it was a song called I Miss You, and it was about because I still miss heroin. And another one of the songs was, some of them were like that, another one was about uh, being vulnerable with my family, I, I can't remember the actual name of the song, but um, they were all, the, the songs brought me to places where I wouldn't have been comfortable going if I preempted what was actually coming up. But one of the things, it, it made me think a bit more deeply about that. But there was the one song, I'm raging now, I can't remember the I'll song. I'll tell you this, I, I tell you, I haven't made yeah. it. Uh, Brilliant. So you, I'll tell you which one you picked. And you can, so you had, the, you had the Strokes, you had Seasons Change, Feudal Ireland's, you had um, Penny Royalty, you had James Still Sane uh, by Lordy, Sit Down by James. James. Um, and Penny Royalty by Nirvana. By Nirvana, right. And a lot of them. So the, the one thing was there was there was one of them, or maybe it wasn't the song. So you got me to bring bring up about relationships, because I remember being talking about relationships. I think I actually said live on air that I'm not going out with anybody and yeah, but I don't want to make it out as if uh, I'm I'm looking for a date online or whatever. That's like right, that. yeah. Yeah. But what, so one of them the particular thing was to be vulnerable on air. That was the main thing. 
And I think it maybe it was the song about seasons change. I'm going to have to listen to the podcast again. But I remember thinking it was helping me at the time of that. I, I'd, I'd interview, or I, yeah, I had actually interviewed uh, Philly McMahon as well around that same time. And it was before I'd written, wrote my memoir, before I started, just right before I started writing my memoir. And it was at the time where that podcast and a couple of little things in my life start getting me to look at the perspective of other people. And maybe it was coinciding with me memoir as well, coming up to write me memoir, I was going to be interviewing my family again. And what I learned in addiction, what, um, what, what addiction done to me specifically, whether I was always like that, it made me very self-obsessed. It does that, does that it's addiction in, in its essence, I suppose. And I never really took the perspective of other people. Now, I had come a long way. I'd introspection. I'd looked at myself. I meditated a lot. But, and I'd felt emotions. But I had a very, uh, I had a big preference for positive emotions. And I never fully felt the pain that I caused my family throughout my addiction. And I think that that podcast and a couple of other little things around the time, I start introspecting about that kind of pain that I wasn't um, experiencing that. And when I interviewed my family, I chatted to my mom and my sister, especially for my memoir. I remember going in openly wanting to be vulnerable because I felt vulnerable on air with your podcast. And I felt okay. It was, it was okay to be vulnerable. And I said, right, this, I can do this. I can do this. And when I done it with my mom and my sister, now it knocked me for six. Like, I, I, I consider myself a highly productive person. I'm always on it. I'm always doing things. I'd be very action-orientated. Even my meditation practice is a bit too action-orientated to an extent. So um, being, being utilizing my time is very big for me. But when I done, when I done them interviews with my mom and dad, I had a huge deadline with the book, but it was actually, I was floored by the emotions, floored by um, the pain that I caused by other people and that I didn't actually, um, I didn't actually feel it. I, th I think it was guilt that I didn't actually feel it. And I suppose that was just a very transformative approach for me in writing the book but it's been a huge catalyst for the relationships in my life, especially with my family, have just soared to a new level. So it was the start of a process of being vulnerable, allowing myself to feel the pain of others. And that, that was really, for me, that was just the start of the process. Brilliant. Um, and the reason I wanted to ask you wasn't to, to blow my own horn about it. Oh, right. <laughs> but it was, more to, it was more to do with the conversation, per se. I'm, I'm a great believer conversation is one of the best medicine we have at our, at our, at our and that kind of confirms it by you going and talk to your ma, your sister, and uh, you know, stripping down and really letting it go. Yeah. And, uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. And uh, how's the relationship now with them? Brilliant. The relationships with my family. I think the off, we are, we are, you always hear that uh, it's a nice little saying that addiction is not a spectator sport. Eventually, the whole family gets to play. But thankfully, so is recovery. And it's um, my recovery has helped them in a way, um, obviously for obvious reasons. But then I suppose what I'm learning in recovery as well and what I'm doing around mental health, mental well-being, like my mom, she meditated before that, but she would have upped our meditation levels as well, I suppose. And we just, we're really open. We just talk about things. We talk about feelings. And I suppose because I'm more open about talking about my feelings and how I feel, it opens other people to talk about how they feel as well. So our relationships are just a lot closer. We're much, we're, much, we're more connected than we've ever been as a family. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I remember when we were talking again, it was just over a year ago, you mentioned you were in the process of writing a book, you were starting writing a book. And now, just less than a year later, you kindly invite me to the launch, which unfortunately didn't happen. Uh, it will happen again. We'll do it, it again. It will happen. Yeah. yeah. And that was supposed to be a few weeks ago, right? Only a couple of weeks ago, or something. Uh, yeah. Beginning of April or something. I forget the, the, the exact date. It was. It was, oh, so um, the 6th of April, my birthday. It was my birthday. The 6th oh, right. of April was the book class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, now, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, go on. 
Yeah, so, so what, what it was, with the, the actual launch of the book itself was, was last month on this day, so the 27th of March, and the whole PR campaign, potential, uh, I was, looked like I was going to be on the Late Late Show, and instead of all of that happening, basically, all the books got locked in the warehouse, the Late Late Show got cancelled or any possibility of it, but it was really funny, and what, what, what we touched on earlier was that my tools, the practice, I found myself smiling at the situation, literally smiling at my ability to let go of what was outside of my control. And it was far better than getting on any TV show than, than selling loads of books to realize this stuff works. It was very, it was very, very reinforcing, very powerful experience. Brilliant. What I'd like to know about the book, uh, which is called Bonus Time, and uh, you've done a lot of uh, radio interviews over the last few weeks. And uh, well, first of all, tell me, tell me about that bit, because you, know, you wrote a book for a reason, uh, and then you got now. Now's the dog and pony show. You have to get out there and promote it. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we can't. You know, we can't go out and on the late late show at the moment. But you've been all the yeah. way. Tell me about that yeah. bit of the business. What's it like? It's great. It's great. I, I really really enjoy it. And even though I, I was looking forward to it beforehand, I think and it comes it comes back to this thread at the at the very start. Andre, you, you are one of the first podcasts I was ever on. So that was the first start of me little publicity kind of thing in public talking and that, 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 that was the biggest bit your podcast and I'm not, I'm not trying to blow your own trump here to blow your trump here but that was the big one for me for being comfortable being vulnerable I'd done a couple before that and I was scripted what I was going to say and I think over the last while I've gotten a lot more comfortable about being true I, I say that all the time be true to your wonderfully weird self you'll attract what you need and repel what you don't and I started to live that little story out so I got on doing them radio shows being comfortable about after writing a memoir as well, every, it's all out there anyway. So I've been very comfortable with what I was going to talk about. And I just loved the experience. Like the, the presenters were fantastic as well. Like they make it very easy for you. We have great presenters in the world. We really do. Because I mean, the book is your memoir. You, you talk, uh, as you did on, on, on my podcast, you were very, you were very open. You were very, I think I caught you out on a couple of times. Not, not by, it was just, I think the, the way the conversation went, uh, I, I felt very comfortable asking you questions that yeah. I didn't know going into, I didn't know what I was going to be able to ask you, not ask you. And because it's a quite a taboo subject and we don't like to talk about it. Addiction is, it's a hard one. And we associate it with a certain strata of the society. We associate it with, you know, that, that was the whole thing in the back of my head. And I thought, no, this is, you know, we're two human beings sitting here having a conversation. I think we went we went deeper than maybe you and I were, we thought we were going to oh, go. Yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, and so when you sat down there to write the book, um, there must have been uh, there must have been a, a little bit of a you know wanting to uh, glamorize is the wrong word. You know, to to get to when you got to some points, go should I really say everything that I need to say here or Definitely. Because, because it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to write down things. And I know yeah. I do it. And it's really hard to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And, and, and you, find yourself, um, you find yourself wanting to put down the good parts of yourself, the good parts of your life, and balance, and balance the bad parts. Like, there were certain things, like, I, I was in illegal activities. Like, I, I say that in the book. Like, I, I, um, I, I sold drugs for a certain time to fund me habit. And I found myself within the book trying to defend that and justify the actions. And I said, no, I just have to speak me truth. Now, I got that. Um, Lynn Rowan, I've got friends with Lynn Rowan. 
and I'd read her book before and, and Lynn gave me great advice that the book would be very different only for Lynn. She says, just speak your truth. The truth will set you free. She didn't use them words. Just speak your truth. That's, that's Lynn's way. Speak your truth. And I just spoke my truth and I says, it was like, it, you'll attract what you need. Like, you know, it's like, if I done what I done and people don't like what I did and they hold that against me, that's fine. That's 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 their stuff and they, they might be right. So it just I think by chatting to Lynn and by reading other memoirs as well, I've just made a decision that I'm just gonna put it all out there. And you you get comfortable about putting the stuff out there as well. Like I put some very, very um, embarrassing stuff in the book as well, like talking about all sorts of things that go on in the drug game. And um, yeah, I, I got very comfortable with it. I probably got too comfortable with it and I started putting more out there. So probably making myself silly. But I wanted it. I wanted to make people, although it was a very dark book, like there's very dark sections of the book and I harmed like, the funny thing as well was, was the, 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 the harm that I caused to other people, the loved ones in my life. Like I brought my mom on drug deals and put her in danger at one stage. She didn't even know what she was doing. That was probably the hardest part of the book. And I, even I think the tone has just changed just there because I know that was wrong. And there's guilt there. I wish you could take it back. And a lot of the stuff I done to myself in addiction, I done to myself. But when I done harm to other people, that was the difficult part. And it was really making sure that my family were okay with that. Because at one stage in the book, I'm talking about my parents, sort of the problems they might have um, caused me in my life and emphasizing the anxiety, highlight, make me enjoy, make me more anxious, I suppose. And then I brought them through all that madness as well. So I think... I made sure I didn't hurt anybody, but I just put it all out there and, and let the truth come out. And it was, it was nice. It was nice the way it came out. Brilliant. I, I have to say, I haven't read it yet. I was hoping to pick it up at the launch and get it signed. But <laughs> I will have to buy it now online. Um, uh, anyway, this old madness went. I'll, I'll, I'll get it in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah. um, what, I, what I'd be interested in, you start to mention when we start the conversation that you're doing a lot of work with the schools and so on. Like I was thinking, Okay, it's a memoir, it's about you, and it's about you, and uh, ch change is possible, which is your tagline, and it's a great story. Um, how do you think that book is going to be read by somebody that is actually either going through, or you went through, or a kid, you, you were 17, 18, you know, playing football, yeah. and then you ended up having your first smoke, and what have you. How do you think you'll be able to get that book in front of somebody to, that needs to read it? Like, I'll read it. And it's great yeah. to meet you. It's not my story. Yeah. I don't have anything to attach it to, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. And some of the feedback that I'm <clears throat> that I'm getting, I got, <clears throat> excuse me, I got one of uh, the the best um review, not so much a review of the book, and it was um it was basically a psychiatric nurse and she was just saying that she doesn't know why she bought the book. I think she was a friendly sister or something like that, and she read it and she just says it completely changed her view of how addicts are that they're not that, that she's seen the human behind the addict, she's seen the the, fam, the the addict's family behind it. So when she's going to be working, she's going to be treating them differently. And that was one of the big things that, that jumped out for me. But get, again, to answer your question specifically, get, how to get it in front of the people that actually need it. Oh, that is a tough one. That's a mark. I'm trying to tell you from a marketing perspective. And I suppose I suppose what I've done, I think I think that the, the goal of a book, if you really want to sell a book, and I always did have this in mind, was that like you can have a publicity launch, you can have um, go on the radio shows, you can have all that stuff, but it's really going to be word of mouth. That, that's what that's what en enhances the, the life of a book. Mm -hmm. And I think the rawness with which what I told it, like there were shock factors in it. I was there's a happy ending, there's a story, there's there's the 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 best thing that they say, the hero's journey is, as they say, that's what films are made on. So it's the villain, the villain in my story was heroin. And I started to talk about that as an external narrative, talking in my head all the time. 
And what specifically what you were saying, what I would hang the book on as well is it wasn't even about addiction. It was about anxiety, me, trauma, trauma that I had, the anxiety that I caused, and me trying to escape that anxiety. And even the thread, the essence of the book isn't even is more about self-deception. It's about um, an ability, the ability that we have to fill ourselves. There's a line in the book which I think captures my whole life in addiction, and it's, I was a black belt in self-deception, and I could cross any boundary or take any action by telling myself a lie and believing it. And I think we're all masters of self-deception, and that's for me why self-awareness is the holy grail. And I think more than ever, whether, we'll, whether these words would get it in front of a young kid's face, uh, uh, face and their eyes to actually read the book is another thing but i think these are the skills self-awareness emotional intelligence social intelligence that the kids need these days more so than ever like i think they're lacking the required skills to cope with covid-19 which is why i'm doing many talks for leaving search students and for and for schools and stuff as well but um yeah i i, I think the story the shock factor and hopefully word of mouth will get it in front of kids kids faces yeah eyes well, no, I think it's great. I think the, the, the story of the psychiatric nurse is exactly what I was hoping the answer would be that, right. you know, um, it is a perception, it's a perception that needs to change and, uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully one kid will pick it up in the library and he'll go home and change his life, you know, that that's yeah. the job will be done then, you know. If it's, uh, you, it's yeah. Brilliant, yeah. A uh, Justin Bieber tweet, that's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> that would get it. <laughs> Tell me something. So uh, we're in this crazy COVID-19 uh, and we're locked in for a few weeks and um, <clears throat> you're looking well, you're looking sane and safe. Uh, tell me what are you doing yes. uh, to look after yourself? <clears throat> routine. And this this be one of the things that, I'm, that I'll be doing in some of my talks as well for the kids. Routine is absolutely crucial. So I, I think anxiety is the overarching um, problem right now, which is in essence fear of the unknown, fear of uncertainty, thinking about an unknown future. And uncertainty is the key word that just keeps on cropping up. So we, we had routines in our own lives and we've lost them routines. So I think implementing some kind of a routine is key. So I still get up at the same time. I still go for a run in the morning. I go. I found a beautiful little park where I, I watch the sunrise. It's getting a lot more difficult to watch the sunrise this week. It's getting very, it's getting very early, but I've still managed it. But it's getting up in the early, doing the exercise, coming back and write. I, I know what I'm going to do. I write it down. Like I always say that this is like productivity stuff one-on-one. What gets measured gets managed. So don't just have it in your head what you're going to do. Write it down. I'm going to do that for an hour. I'm going to do that for an hour. I'm going to take a lunch. I'm going to do that for 20 minutes. I'm going to do that. Write it down and do it. That is the advice I would give to anybody that's in lockdown is to get some kind of certainty back into your life. Write it down and follow that routine. I think it's so simple but so crucial. Yeah, brilliant. And tell me something in terms of um, connections and, uh, you know, the isolation is great in a way because we need to do it and it makes sense from a, a medical point of view. But, but, but the fact is in isolation, we all live in our own little world and we feel safe and we do the right things. But how, how have you been keeping connections with your loved ones or your friends or your colleagues or whatever it is? How, how are you managing that? Yeah, very, very similar to uh, what most people are doing. So um, I would one thing I've been doing it's um, I'm the one that gets me mom and dad. So me mom and dad be cocooned in the house, so I get there shopping. So I try to chat pretty much every day. So we have a chat through the door and stuff like that. So I have a lot of interaction with them. And I went out the back once or so, make sure my hands don't touch on. I did go out the back, the socially distanced stuff once or twice. Then no one else in my family does that, so I have that little extra as well. 
But then what we do within the family as well and with my friends, and so lots of phone calls, obviously, with quiz nights. We have been doing the quiz nights. I, I, don't, I don't know how well they work. I'm always like, I get rid of the quiz and let's just have a chat. But I think Zoom and the online stuff is great. Like, it really is great. But you do have this, and I, I, I was never really a hugger in the, in the old life. I remember going to be forced Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and they all hug. In, in their meetings and it's like I'll be forced once why is all doing hugging I, mean, like, I was so uncomfortable with hugging I didn't come from a very affectionate uh, family I suppose but over the last few years I've become one of these huggers like you know and you do you just have to want to hug people like you know just that, that connection of just reassurance and just uh, like there's only so much when you're talking to people online and telling them what to do sometimes it's that it's that, it's that social touch isn't it shaking hands giving someone a hug that kind of stuff so yeah, but we have to make do at the moment. I think the online stuff is great. So just stay connected as much as you can. That'd, that'd be my advice. Absolutely. And uh, how about your community there? What's going on with your community? They're all pulling in. They're all looking after each other. You're looking after each other. Or, or is it a bit isolated? It's a little bit isolated. I suppose where I live, um, we, we wouldn't know... Um, I think it's, it's the nature of the estate, I suppose, where we are. There's that um, people... Yeah, it's not. It's not a very so. I, when, when I was grew up in ladies, where I originally came from, I remember in the earlier years. It was a great community spirit. We'd have street parties and all this kind of stuff. Now maybe um, I'm I'm on the front of a green, so there's no houses. I know the neighbours to the left and right. We say hi, we chat, but there's no uh, there's no big huge community spirit. I have to say, but um, yeah, it's a bit non-existent. It's a bit sad. If this goes on much longer, you might have to start something. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe it's up to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's oh, saying that, Andrea, I heard a bingo thing out the back garden the other night. So they were doing something on the opposite road. They were doing something, yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> so tell me something then. Um, so you've done this journey now. You've gone through, you're, you're, you're in the journey of the change is possible. You made the change six and a half years. Fantastic. You're now... Uh, a different person you were six and a half years ago. Well, you're the same person with different values and different and different uh, uh, different goals, which is you have to say it's still the same person. And yeah. you've done the book, which is great. Uh, so your story's out there, and as as we say, hopefully it'll help people. What's next pro- project in your head? What's your plan? Because you don't want to become <laughs> the the one story man, you know, be telling this. You know, that's I've, I've been so many. I've been to so many things and it's the same story regurgitated over and over it's like yeah okay that's fine but now move on <laughs> move on big time yeah definitely definitely and and you know what is it isn't the goal in that creating new stories like you want it like that's the way that's where the excitement is like let's ha- let's create a new story and um, i've often talked to people that um um online and they're doing talks and they want to do talks and say, oh, well you have your story so like if you want to go and talk to people we love stories let's create new stories so for me, what, what's next for me? The next big one for me, so I, I'll be uh, finishing my PhD next year. So hopefully, shockingly enough, I could be Dr. Penny, Dr. Brian, which is a bit, it feels a bit strange. So that's the, that's the next chapter of my journey that I have to go over. I have plans for another couple of books. Like I, I, I talk about my program for life, which has helped me in my own life. And that's what my whole website is about, showing people them tools and tactics. So it's really, I want to write another book about uh, to show people the, the, the program that I developed for my own life. And I want to do a lot of talks. But I think I keep on coming back to this thing. Like, it's always for me, it's about teaching young kids how to better navigate their lives. And I think they need it more than ever. So I have a couple of hurdles to get over, like the PhD. Um, 
a couple of other projects I have. I'm hoping to do a bit of TV work as well. I'm in talks at the moment about helping people after COVID-19. So I have a couple of personal projects I need to get over the line. But once I build up a bit more of a platform around that, I think I think the mission sort of is being directed towards young people. Like I think to an extent, many older people, if, if they're in that, then bad habits. And like every, just to say, everyone can change themselves. Like change is possible for anyone. But I think it's more important to teach these younger kids early before they get get into the, they, they really delve into the bad habits and that stuff. And I think that's where my thing is, is, is making a big impact, whether it's on a governmental level, whether it's um, getting in with people within government to bring it into schools, bring programs into schools. I've been talking to other people that have done this before, but I think that's the next part of my journey is finding out how to do that. Great, yeah, no, it's very much needed. And I spoke to a few people for this podcast about it, so that there's obviously enough of us, of you out there that, that want to do the same thing. So probably a big case of collaborations, whoever it may be, I don't know, whoever is the Definitely. organization out there or... Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's really is the key to, to prevention. Yeah. Cure. And engagement. I, I, I'm always thinking as well, because there's lots of programs out there in the schools and all, but it's getting these kids to engage. I think that's the key piece. And it's the hardest piece. How do you get them to engage? Like you, can, you might even get them to come to a talk, but how are you going to go away from that talk and implement these tools? I, I started to come across the angle, like instead of prevention, like I, I, I say, like I survived addiction, but I didn't only survive, I'm thriving in addiction. So do the tools I'm there, practice the tools I'm doing. You won't only feel better, you'll feel amazing. And I think that's an angle I'd like to go on as well. So it's more about thriving using these tools rather than just being better from recovering from anxiety. I think that might be a nicer angle to go on. Brilliant. So who's going to play you in the movie? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's the next part of me story, isn't it, Andre? I'll put it down to a few actors, friends, see if anybody puts a yeah. name for it. Yeah, I would love to hear that, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great. No, look, you know, there's a, why not? Why not? You know, it's a, know. It's a, great, it's a great story, you know, that you never know. You never know. Dream big, be bold. That's my uh, that's my mantra. <laughs> you get Tom Cruise's details. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny everybody mentions Tom Cruise. He must be really Did cheap. It's <laughs> <laughs> just something. Do you know what? I would love to have a conversation with Tom Cruise. I know people who always say the uh, the Scientology and all that, but when I watch him talking to people, he has this intensity about him that I would I would just love that he seems to be intensely present. Now, I know the, uh, what, what else is there we don't know, but actually someone I'd love to have a conversation with. I, I don't know why. He seems like a great guy. I don't know, I don't know what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get in touch with him, ask him if he'll play you. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> well, listen, Brad, as I said, the, the, this idea of the Chronicles is really she, literally just to keep in touch with people, and especially in the moment we're in, with, you know, we're not talking, well, we're talking to as many people as possible, but, you know, this I think is important to put little messages out for people to to relate to and uh, and uh, it's great to see yeah, we, we were meant to catch up in person but we haven't so yeah. we will we will soon as soon as this we is will over, soon. I'll Definitely. come over with a book to get it signed and uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that'd be the way to do it but in the meantime listen it's been a real pleasure to see you again and thanks Emilia for your time as always yeah thanks Adria. it's been a pleasure I really enjoyed it so I love the idea of the Chronicles it's great